Is that green? Okay, how's that? Can you hear me now? All right, good deal. Um, so if you have your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you do, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to mainly be in Acts chapter 2, verses two, uh, verses 42 through 47 tonight. And we're going to be talking about diving into community. As we prepare this week to launch our community groups, uh, that's the invitation, that we would just dive into this thing full force, head on, no hesitations, and that we would just go for it in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And so uh, when we think about diving into something, we think about sometimes some fears that we can have from that, sometimes some anticipation and excitement. Um, I've never been called a strong swimmer. Uh, I have two daughters who love the pool but I don't necessarily love the pool because I can't swim very well. When I was a, a kid, I was little, I was probably five, six years old. Um, my parents enrolled me in swimming lessons at the YMCA over on Sugarloaf Parkway. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, I hope you do better than me because when I was in swimming lessons, um, I started off in the polywog group. And the next group was the minnows. And I really wanted to be a minnow. Um, but after the, at the end of the polywog, after the le- week's lesson or whatever, they give you a test to see if you can graduate from the polywogs and enroll in the minnows class. And so after one week of lessons, I didn't pass the test. Second week of lessons, I didn't pass the test. And so on. And so I'm still a polywog to this day. <laughs> Um, and so when we think about diving into a community group, it could be a little bit like me diving into a pool. There may be a good reason or even several reasons why you may not want to take that leap, why you may not want to, to dive into that. And I think sometimes that is fear because we're going to expose ourselves, our spiritual journey, our spiritual pilgrimage to others around us. Sometimes we think that it may challenges to make some changes in our lives. Sometimes it might just be a schedule thing, and we might say, I'm just way too busy to have another thing in my life, and so it may not seem like a priority to us. And so um, I want us to watch a short video of what a small group should not be about as we think about some of those hesitations that we may have. So take a minute and watch this with me. Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it, network, maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with that. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at Shallow Small Group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey, dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth. Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey, man. How's it going? That's good. Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. 
Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. Wants cake. <laughs> and there will never, ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy, and we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial, but hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group, because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? All right, so that's the opposite of what I want us to dive into as a church, because I do want us to dive into authentic community and relationship with God and going deep in his word together. And I think that Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, give us a great example of what that looks like. Um, so I want to pray, and then we'll read our passage together. Um, so would you join me as we pray? Father, um, we thank you for this evening when we can come together and celebrate how you are working through this local expression of your church. And God, we pray your blessings on these small groups. We pray your favor in the communities where we will be. We pray for open doors to share the gospel. And so, Father, I just pray that even now as we read your word together and we study it together, that you would prompt our hearts as to how to pray and how to engage and interact and serve in our small groups and the communities around those small groups. And so, Father, um, most importantly, we pray that everything that we do in the context of these small groups would all be for your glory and would be for making your name great in the community around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. You'll join me as we read. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. <clears throat> May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. And so I want to give you a few things that we can, I think, take from this passage and say, you know what, that applies to us as it did to the early church. Here in Loganville, Georgia, it applies as much as it did in the early beginnings of the church. At this point in, in the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, the Holy Spirit had come, the church had been established, and, and the church is just getting going. And this is an early record of what the early church did. It's very similar to what we want to do as a local church and as well as what some of the expectations and, and some of the hopes and dreams of the church as a whole should be about. And so 
there's several reasons for diving into a biblical community, despite some of our fears and despite some of the things that we may not want, some of the reasons we may not want to jump in. And so the first one is, is this, that it provides an environment for spiritual growth. It provides an environment for spiritual growth. And so the first thing we see in this passage is, Luke says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And so the early church is coming together, and at the time, they don't have a printed Bible like us. They don't have the canon of Scripture as we have it. In fact, it's being written at this time through the teaching of the apostles. And so the early church comes together, and they sit at the feet of the apostles who had been with Jesus, who had seen Jesus with their own eyes and heard his voice with their own ears and they're sitting and they're hungry and they're thirsty for the word of God to come into their lives and the apostles are able to deliver that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we gather together in our small groups, the main point, the main method that we're surrounded around is making sure that we are gathering our, through the Word of God, that we're going through the Word of God together. So we're launching with the book of Ephesians, and we're just asking seven simple questions of that passage each week as we study it together. So we want to devote ourselves to the Word of God. Timothy tells us that the Word of God is is uh, is living and active, and it's like a two-edged sword, um, and it divides what's spiritual and what's not spiritual, and those are the kinds of things that we want to see in our own lives. And then we also see that they devoted themselves to fellowship. And so this fellowship is not just a fellowship of, hey, we're going to get together. Sometimes we're going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about vacations. We're going to talk about whatever. But this fellowship that we talk about really is that kind of doing life together. It's that you're a part of my life and I'm a part of your life. And that when you hurt, I hurt. And when you rejoice, I rejoice. And so it's this deep kind of we're family. We're in this thing together. We're family because we're all part of the family of God because we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ and invited into his family. And then we see this breaking of bread in this passage, and scholars tell us that this breaking of bread in this passage really refers to communion. It's an invitation to the Lord's table. And so we did that as a church family this morning. We came to the table together, and we were reminded of Christ's work on the cross, and because of what Christ has done, it's canceled our record of debt, or canceled our sin, and he's invited us into relationship with him through the blood of Christ, and we get to be part of the kingdom of God. And so I think the way that we apply this to our small groups is that we remember the gospel. We remember what Christ has done for us. And so as you go through your spiritual journey and I go through my spiritual journey, it's so helpful to have people around us who constantly remind us of what Christ did for us. Because Lamentations tells us that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. In fact, that, that passage says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. And so I think it's important for someone to be in our lives that can say, hey, don't feel consumed by what's going on in the world or in the news or at work or in your relationships. But remember that the Lord's mercies 
are new every morning and you can experience those mercies because of the cross, because of what Christ has done for us. And then we also see that they devoted themselves to prayer. And we'll talk a little bit more about prayer as we go throughout the text tonight. But it's important to to pray for one another. And so the way we have our small groups um, structured and the way that we've trained our leaders is that we would come together and we would spend the last portion of our evening together praying for one another. And so not just praying for one another um, as part of our routine, but remembering those prayer requests throughout the week, writing those down and, and asking the Lord to bring those through to our mind throughout the day, making sure that we're praying for one another and the needs that we have. So in this passage, we see that biblical community provides an environment for spiritual growth. But then in verse 43, we see that it provides a venue to experience God's presence and and work in our lives. And so verse 43 says that awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so as I've been reading this and studying this this week, I thought, man, I wonder how many people in the church would say, I've experienced awe this week. I've been in awe of something this week that God has done. And God is always at work around us. And I think a lot of times we get so busy in our lives and we get so entrenched in our routine that it's easy to overlook what God is doing around us. And it's easy to forget the greatness of the gospel. And when we come together in biblical community, we're reminded of that. And we're seeing God work in other people's lives. I, I love being encouraged in small groups I've been part of where I'm, I'm maybe struggling with something and I hear somebody else share how they're struggling with the same thing and how God has worked in their life and how God has done something in their life. And, and God speaks through the other people that he's brought into our lives as well as speaking to us through his word. And I want us to just leave your mark there in, in chapter two of Acts and go over to chapter 12. Um, chapter 12 of Acts has an incredible story about the church that is committed to prayer. But then along the way, I think maybe they forgot to be in awe. They forgot to pray, expecting God to answer their prayer. And I think a lot of times we might do that too as believers. We might pray a prayer, but really in our heart of hearts, we may not really believe that God is going to answer that prayer. Maybe it's that we don't expect him to, or we may doubt his power or his sovereignty or whatever it is. But as we come into these small groups, I want us to come into these praying with expectation, praying that God would do some awesome things that would cause us to be in awe of him. And so as we're coming out as a church family of a season of prayer and fasting, that doesn't mean that our prayer stops. It, the, the season of prayer and fasting should really just be a catalyst to get us to start praying and fasting on a regular basis, to start seeking after God with expectation. So read this passage with me. I may stop along the way and just comment on some of these verses, but this is Acts chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded 
to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. Then listen to this. And if you underline things in your Bible or highlight it on your phone, this is worth highlighting. It says, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And so just kind of get the picture here. Herod has this this violent streak against the church, and he um, he is laying violent hands on some who belong in the church, and he's killed James, and then this pleased the Jews, so he arrests Peter, and the intent is to do the same with Peter, so Peter's thrown in jail, and he's just biding time. He's just waiting for the Passover to end. And then he doesn't know what his fate is going to be. But then there's these incredible words at the end of verse 5. But in earnest prayer, the church prayed for him. And then look what happens in verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And centuries before, the doors were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And when he went out and followed him, he did not know what was being done by the angel was real but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered together and were praying. I'm going to stop there for a minute. So Peter was in prison. He's waiting what would happen on the very night that Herod is going to do something with him. An angel of the Lord miraculously rescues Peter as the church was praying for Peter doesn't even think this is reality at first. And then he realizes this has really happened to him. And so he goes to the home where the people of the church are gathered together and they're praying for Peter. And then in verse 13, he says, And when uh, when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So this servant girl is so excited that it's Peter, she just leaves him out there in the cold and runs in and tells him that he's, he's out there. But listen to what they say in verse 15. Verse 15, they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is an angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him, and they were amazed. I love that story because the church is literally gathered together 
praying for Peter to be rescued from prison and God answers their prayer and the girl runs in to tell them and they say, no, it couldn't have been Peter. We're busy here praying for him to be rescued. He's in prison. And I'm thinking, this is exactly what you're praying for. And as we come into our small groups, I don't want to be like those groups, uh, that group of people gathered together at the house praying for Peter to be rescued and not really believing that it can happen. I want us to pray believing things that, that these things we're praying for can really happen. I want us to gather together as a small group and pray and believe that our neighbors and our friends and our family who are unbelievers can come into a real authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. I want us to pray together that we can start more community groups in these communities that we're in and communities that are around our church as well and that we would continue to expand because that means that the kingdom of God is expanding and it gives him glory and it changes lives. And so as we see in this passage, biblical community can provide a venue to experience God's presence and work. And then the third thing we see in verses 44 and 45 is that biblical community provides a place where people care for and share with one another. People care for and share with one another. So if you want to turn back to Acts chapter 2 with me, and we'll look at these two verses together, 44 and 45 of chapter 2. And Luke writes, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they were caring for one another. They were sharing their lives together, not just their lives, but their possessions. Everything that they had was in common, and it's in common because they've all experienced this grace. They've all experienced God sending his son and inviting them into relationship with them. And so as we gather together in small groups for biblical community, I think it's so important because it reminds us that we're not doing this thing alone. I think that probably one of the most discouraging thing for church members, for Christians in our society, is that I think oftentimes we feel like we're in this battle alone. We're, we're doing the spiritual journey by ourselves. And when you're part of a biblical community, you remember that you're not doing this alone. You have friends and family within your biblical community that you can lean on, that you know are praying for you, that you can call and talk to, that you can even get together with outside of your small group time and, and share what God's doing in your life through that. And so um, one thing that I try to remind people of often is that there's no lone rangers in Christianity. And even the lone ranger had Tonto, right? So there's really no lone rangers. And when we gather together and we share our lives together and we share what God is doing and we have all things in common, God does some amazing things that we can expect to have that awe moment where we see him do those amazing things. And then the next thing we see is in verse 46, we see that biblical community 
provides a place for authentic relationship. In verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They're eating together, just like we did tonight. Now, I doubt that they're having Foggy Bottom barbecue in the early church, but they are eating together. They're gathering together in homes. They're sharing their lives together. They have authentic, real relationships. One thing I love just about the church in general is that I don't know of another place or another organization where people can come together from all kinds of different backgrounds, from all different races and ethnicity groups and even political affiliations. And you can come together and and you have so much in common because of what Christ has done for you. And so it's a wonderful thing when you can come together and you have those authentic relationships and you really do genuinely care for one another. That's one thing that I love about Redeeming Grace Community Church is I believe that we have that authenticity, that we really do love one another. We really do care for one another. Because God has given us that gracious gift, I think it's so important that we not just hold it here, but through our community groups, we go out and we share it with those around us, and we invite others into that authentic relationship with us. And so then in verse 47, we see that the biblical community also provides a catalyst for living on mission. It says, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so our prayer is that people would come to know Christ. People would come into the kingdom through these small groups. That's the the main reason that we're doing this. Um, and so when we think about that, I think a lot of times that can be intimidating. That can be intimidating for me. I am naturally an introverted person. Um, I'm married to an extroverted person, but I um, am, a, am an introverted person. Um, just to kind of illustrate that point, when I was in second grade, I would not talk to people um, because I'm an introvert. And so my teacher thought that it was really important to, for me to talk to people. So she taped a index card to the side of my desk and she gave me points for talking to people. So um, every time I talked to someone, Miss Peachy would put a point down. And so when I got to 10 points, she took me to McDonald's and bought me an ice cream, um, which was awesome. But I was still an introvert after that. So um, that but it, it may be a struggle for us. You may be like me. You may be an introvert. You may not like having conversation with people. Um, and, and that may seem really intimidating. But God has given us this incredible gift of the gospel as believers. And I know when something happens in my life that I'm really excited about, I kind of want to let everybody know, you know, like, um, for example, and this is a really um, poor example because it, it fails in comparison to what we're talking about. But last night when Georgia beat Notre Dame was pretty awesome. And I wanted to let everybody know, and I especially wanted to let my friends who were Notre Dame fans know about what I thought about that game last night. And so when you get really excited about something, you're going to let people know, and you're going to let them know either by telling them or calling them or your Facebook post or your Instagram picture or whatever it is, you're going to let people know. And I'm just praying that God makes us as a community so excited about the gospel 
so excited about him that we can't help but tell people about it. Where we live, where we work, where we play. We're constantly having the name of Jesus on our lips because he has done great things and he is worthy to tell people about. He is worthy for us to be excited about. So I want to give you some practical steps if you're like me and you're an introvert and you're not really sure how you're going to be part of a community group that shares the gospel with other people, that invites other people to be a part of what you're doing. So I'm just going to give you some really practical stuff that I think is really helpful. Number one is start simple. And so if you don't really know how to start the conversation about the gospel with your neighbor, start with this. Knock on their door. Hey, can I borrow some sugar? Hey, can I borrow a rake? Just start the conversation somewhere and eventually let it lead to the gospel. Because if the name of Jesus is on your lips, if Jesus has captured your heart, then eventually it's going to come out of you and you're going to share it in conversation. Um, and so then the next thing is be visible. Um, so I have some people in my neighborhood who kind of pull into their driveway and they shut the garage door and they hang out in the backyard, not in the front yard. And so you can never have a conversation with them. Um, if you're trying to reach your neighbors with the gospel, don't be that guy. Be outside, be in your community. Um, I've tried to start taking my dog for a walk in our community just to try to meet people and talk to people. And eventually those conversations will, I think, lead to the gospel, but you have to be visible. Um, so the third piece of advice is overplant and overbake. And so what I mean by that is overplant in your garden and overbake when you cook and share those things with your neighbors. Um, I think it would be a great blessing if someone knocked on my door with a, a dozen cookies and said, I've overbaked. Would you and your family like these cookies? Um, so just whatever you can do to share other things with other people. And then you may want to organize. I know we have a lot of organizers in our church, and it would be great to, even as a small group, maybe you organize a community yard sale or a neighborhood watch or a some sort of club that you can do together. And then the, the last piece of advice is to throw a party. Do something, and we're encouraging our small group leaders to do this on an ongoing, regular basis. Do something outside of your regular meeting time where you're going bowling or you're going fishing or you're going to do whatever where you're able to invite people to come and just be around other believers. Um, just be around people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus so that they can share their lives with them. And so I want to just end by praying that God would appropriate all of these things into our hearts and that we would see him do great things. I want to pray expecting him to do great things, and then we'll continue to worship. So would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for this example from the early church. And Father, I think it overlays what you've called us to do as Redeeming Grace Community Church so, so well, because you've invited us to do some of the very same things, to be devoted to your word and to fellowship and to breaking of bread, remembering the gospel and prayer. You've invited us to pray with expectant hearts. You've invited us to go out and, and share the gospel. And God, we pray that the same thing would be said about us that is said about 
the early church, that you would add to the number. God, I love that passage at the end of 47 where it says, and day by day you added to their number. And God, we don't want to do that to make a name for ourselves, but we want to do that because your name is already great, and we want so many people to hear it. God, I pray that the name of Jesus would constantly be on our lips this week as we meet neighbors and we prepare to start these small groups. I pray that you would be in us and that you would work mightily through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.